Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You. It's a podcast and a video show that brings you leadership lessons and wisdom from really fascinating people from all over the world. I'm your host, Lisa Lipkin. And if you're new to the channel, please subscribe and hit the bell icon. Well, I'm absolutely thrilled today to introduce Steve Zeitlin, who is the founding director of City Lore. And for those of you that aren't New Yorkers, City Lore is a treasure here in New York City. Um, it is an organization that Steve founded back in the 1980s, um, which is really designed to celebrate folk culture, to document and advocate and present New York City grassroots cultures so that their living legacy is ensured. And it also celebrates the history and places and traditions that are so special to New York. Mostly what I find absolutely fascinating about Steve's work is that he uh, goes out of his way and all the members of his organization do to find people that aren't necessarily the best sellers of their work, who don't announce themselves, who often are hiding under the radar, but these are people in communities that bring so much to their fellow citizens, um, people that quietly um, bring to life the spirit of the city, the ethnicity, the culture. Um, and I'm, I'm a big fan of his work and I'm delighted to speak to him today. So welcome, Steve. Well, thank you, Lisa. <laughs> so you, you started as a folklorist, if I'm, if I'm correct. Is that, is that true? That is absolutely correct. And, and tell me how, how, how did City Lore begin? What was his, its inception? Um, maybe you can give me an idea of how you, how you started. I believe it was at the Smithsonian and how you came to City Lore. Well, I usually start by saying that I was, uh, uh, by telling the story of when I was back in college um, and I was taking a break from my studies, which I was just mostly involved English literature. And I was wandering through the shelves at the library of the University of Pennsylvania. And I picked up a book at random in, uh, and it was called The Folklore of New York City. And it was written by Benjamin Botkin, who was uh, a cousin of the Gershwins and who lived in Croton on Harmon and had written a whole bunch of books, so kind of treasuries of American folklore, but he'd also written book called Sidewalks of America about urban folklore. He was kind of a pioneer that there was such a thing as urban folklore. And he'd written this book called The Folklore of New York City. And when, when I opened it to a random page, there were a series of children's rhymes that it had been collected by the Works Progress Administration, the WPA, back in the 1930s. And I remember one of them that went, I should worry, I should care, I should marry a millionaire. He should die, I should cry, I should marry another guy. And it struck me, wow, that is such a great piece of folk poetry, which had always fascinated me. I can talk about that later. And I also thought like, wouldn't this be a great job for me, you know, interviewing people about their stories. And then in a conversation with my literature teacher, he mentioned that there was a place at the University of Pennsylvania, in fact, where you could get a PhD in folklore. And so you, to, the, to the consternation of my parents, um, I signed up for it. 
and ended up getting a PhD in folklore just at the time when the bicentennial was happening at the Smithsonian, the, bi the bicentennial, which is, there's another bicentennial coming up now. So that shows you how many years I've been doing this. Um, and I went to work for the Smithsonian for a program that I had suggested to them called Family Folklore. And the idea was that we would interview anybody who came to the festival about their family stories. And we ended up doing that and, and doing a book about it as well. Um, and my parents always thought, you know, maybe it turned out okay because he was working for the Smithsonian as a folklorist. And I like to tell the story that I kind of got my comeuppance one day thinking how great it was to be a folklorist at the Smithsonian when I was giving a talk on Jewish humor, <laughs> of all things. And an elderly gentleman stood up to introduce me. And he said, I'd like to introduce Steve Zeitlin. And he couldn't read too well. And he was looking down at his paper. I'd like to introduce Steve Zeitlin, who for eight years worked as a florist for the Smithsonian Institution. He misread folklorist and he said <laughs> I was a florist for the Smithsonian. I decided pass. <laughs> You know, both of us gather things. They gather roses. We gather stories. I mean, it is kind of being a florist. <laughs> so. Steve, I, I don't know if you knew this about me, but the reason I became a storyteller was I was asked to tell some stories on a on a historic boat that the Smithsonian had that docked at South Street Seaport. They hired me to tell stories on board, and I didn't know anything about New York stories. And I ran to the library and the first book I found was B.A. Botkin's book, New York Folk <laughs> And by the way, my credit rating is still down because I stole that book out of the library and never returned. <laughs> I was so mesmerized by those stories that it single-handedly started me on my love of New York history and being a storyteller was that book. It was, for me, I was drawn not to the poetry, but to the stories of the criminal activities and how clever the pirates were and the swindlers of New York. That was the thing that fascinated me. Um, but I remember asking a friend of mine, what they're gonna know I'm a fraud. Um, what'll happen when all these members of the Smithsonian say to ask me questions about history? He said, you turn to them and you say, you'll have to ask a historian. I'm merely a teller of tales. <laughs> But, but that was the shared, you and I share that history. So, so you, you, you started this project, but then what made you think that there was a place for an organization in New York to bring folk culture and folk history to life? When I came to New York, um, the, 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 I, I, I didn't come, I came to get a job at the Queens Council on the Arts. And with my wife, Amanda, we were both, we were both folklorists and we started just talking to people, asking them what they were interested in. And especially then, back in the 80s, but it's true even today, people were fascinated with the games that they played as children. And a lot of the people were children of the depression and they loved to talk about the, the games that they started, you know, the, the double dutch games, uh, Ringolivio, uh, uh, stick ball, you know, the kinds of things. And we, we, we realized there was so, so much passion around those things that we started to, to uh, do a, a collection of them first. And then we convinced the Museum of the City of New York to do an exhibit. Um, and 
And through that furry first project, we were able to raise money. And I, and I thought to myself, geez, wouldn't it be great to have an organization that, that does this uh, you know, professionally? The first thing that I remember about your organization was attending, I mean, we're talking about over 25 years ago, attending the People's Hall of Fame, which was this marvelous um, award ceremony that you orchestrated, but it was not famous people. Um, it, it was people who had done things to contribute to the folk life of New York City. Um, I, I remember at the time, I think it was one of your first ones, there was a man uh, named Ralph Lee who had created a Halloween parade in Greenwich Village. Um, another man named Antonio Garcia, who embellished the city with murals, and a, a man named Frank Manning, who helped initiate the Lindy Hop in New York. And I, I just, I wondered how this came to be and how you found these characters. I found these characters by, um, I guess, by by looking for them, <laughs> and uh, and and understanding that that. People contribute things, and New York is kind of known for its celebrities, and that it was really important to have a, a different kind of Hall of Fame that was not for for famous baseball players or or uh, and and instead was for ordinary people, but that were doing extraordinary things. And we loved giving those awards, and of course we made a lot of friends. Uh, giving those awards. Uh, somebody once said that anthropologists study people and folklorists make friends with them. Um, we were very close with a lot of the people that we gave these awards to. I remember uh, we gave an award to the man who, who, who walked the Coney Island cyclone every day to make sure that the roller coaster was safe. And it's the old wooden roller coaster and he had to walk the, the planks to make, to make sure it was kept safe. Um, you know, or the guy who started the first Indian sweet shop in New York City. Uh, he was such uh, Tariq, <laughs> and he would, ever since we gave him the award, he would always bring samosas to every city lore event, and still does to this day. <laughs> so um, these were really beloved people that we got to talk to and know, and, uh, you know, and who, who define the city in a way that Broadway and uh, you know and and the and the Metropolitan Museum don't uh, they there that there's another layer of what makes New York great and I think you probably would agree that we put up with New York because of the people here um, and the, the 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 incredible characters that New York attracts. I'll give you another an example. Um, one of the one of my favorite people who we never did we're never able to give a People's Hall of Fame award to, um, but he he's uh, he was a homeless man that I met on the Second Avenue subway, um, and he he was very philosophical. He was always playing uh, chess chess games like with himself at, on the subway platform. So I knew he had to be a, an interesting guy. And he called himself a volunteer uh, humanitarian who was in the subways to tell people when, when the subway was late and if they were lost in the subway because he thought the announcements were totally garbled, which in fact they were. Um, 
and and I, I'll read you, you know, his philosophy that he told me, which I thought made such a great poem, which there's so much wisdom in. Uh, he, he said, he said, too many things go wrong and not enough things go right. Wrong is what makes the world go round. Wrong is king, wrong rules, wrong dominates. The world is actually geared to go wrong. There's too many ways for things to go wrong and it's impossible for everything to go right. Um, and I always took that to, to heart. I always thought, you know, such a wise guy and living in the subway, uh, you know, and uh, it's, he, he, he always said, he said, he, 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 he had his things taken by the cops once uh, when he was caught peeing in, in the subway and, you know, behind the, not when anybody was there, but he was arrested and then they took all his things and he went to get his things back and he, they asked him for an ID. And he said, how's a guy like me to have an ID? He said, if you, if to get an ID, you need an ID, you know? He said, I don't have a social security card. I don't pay taxes. He said, I don't want any part of it. <laughs> I thought there was a lot of wisdom in that. <laughs> it you kind of rethink the way you live your life. Yeah, I, you know, I, I would love to hear, you know, giving attention to people that are normally overlooked, which is really what you're doing. Um, how does it, when you would give awards to these people, it reminds me of the Wizard of Oz, when you would, you know, hand, hand a, a medal to, or to the scarecrow, how, how, did it, how did it transform the people who, whom you gave the awards to or who you recognized? Did, did, did you feel your impact? Um, <laughs> does, recognition, does recognition do something to people who've been anyway quietly doing this all yeah. their lives? Yeah. And we give them, we give them uh, what we call a token of our esteem, which is an old subway token, a very large version of an old subway token. Uh, before subway cards, there was a subway token, which is kind of a symbol of New York. And we, we had a, a sculptor make a bronze version of it. And, um, and people were, you know, people were very touched by it. It's like that nobody had ever given them an award before. But what you find is that when you see somebody win an Academy Award, that person has probably been winning awards every year of their life since they're 12 years old. And these people had never won any kind of award. So, so they, it, they were very touched. Um, uh, we, we, we gave an award. A, a lot of people told us that they, they were the first per, we were the first people to ever notice that what, what they did was important. Um, so, so we, 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 uh, and we still continue to do the people's hall of fame and we've, we've done it on thematically for the last few years. We gave the last time it was on waterfront heroes, um, you know, Naima Ram, for instance, who lived in the Fulton fish market and painted the fishermen, um, and, made it a whole career of, of actually having an apartment inside the Fulton fish market and painting the fishermen that worked there. Uh, so um, the man who, who um, the tinsmith who, who repaired the Statue of Liberty, 
um, for instance. So, so these are the, the kinds of people that we continue to honor and, and to appreciate. There's something very touching in an age where you're really, your value is really measured by how many hits you get on Facebook. There's something really touching about the way you, the invisibility of the people that you celebrate and recognize. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know um, where that comes from in you. Um, were you always kind of moved by the, the disenfranchised or the, the, the unsellers or the invisible ones? Yeah, and I was, uh, I, I, I sort of feel like people assume that the meaning of life is, let's say, in a great book they read or a great movie they see. And for me, the meaning in life is always about the artfulness of personal relationships and the art that grows out of, you know, jokes that you tell all the time, that the, you know, expressions that people have between us, um, you know, memories and stories that they tell that, that, and, and that the meaning of life is in those things. And that, yes, a, a, a book can inspire you in certain ways, but you have to judge your life and remember your life and think of what is great about your life, you know, by the, by the, the artfulness of everyday life. <laughs> now you have a book coming out, don't you, called The Poetry of Everyday Life? I, I have a book that I wrote, a book of essays called The Poetry of Everyday Life. And, um, and, and in fact, I re- I'm, I'm remembering here that, um, let's see, where is it? Uh, that you inspired a poem <laughs> that, I wrote all those, that you inspired a poem that I that I published uh, many years ago, and, and maybe it sort of gets at this. Let me see if I can find it here. Inspired by Lisa Lipkin, <laughs> it's called "Planning for the Past." While fools plan for their future, we lie planning for the past. With our bed in the backyard. Under a night sky, we break a bottle of champagne over the headboard, set sail on our journey together as our memories sail backwards in time. And so we synchronize our heartbeats, shape the numinous events in our personal histories to guide and frame our lives like stars in the night skies as we navigate along the tides of anticipated memories. and I, I read that because you, you inspired it, but it's also about how you think about memory and how you think about the, the artfulness of everyday life and, and how you live your life to create anticipated memories. I think that was your original insight. Yeah, I used to say most people plan for their future, but I think you should always plan for your past. How do I want to remember this? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and so the poetry of everyday life has sort of been a, uh, a way in which I look at the world and I've tried to build a career around fostering that idea that, that, that the poetry in life is where we have to look to for importance and the people who are purveyors of that poetry in, in different ways, sometimes not by writing things, but by their lives and by what they do um, and, and the artfulness of which they, with which they live their lives, whether they're making an Indian sweet or painting a fisherman in a f- fish market or uh, telling jokes, you know, around the dinner table, that, that we have to look to that for meaning and we have to build a world in which that's at the center 
and that and that and that it it is not a world in which celeb being a celebrity is at the center. And fortunately, I've been able to finagle a career based on that. Um, you know, and uh, my dad once was with me when somebody asked me, well, if you're a folklorist, how does somebody make a living at something like that? And my dad answered, well, he scratches it out any way he can. Uh, so uh, City Lore is, oh, is constantly raising money to do things. And we also do a lot of work bringing artists into schools as well. Um, that's a big part of what we do. And we also do a lot in trying to preserve neighborhood landmarks um, that, are, that are really important to, to uh, neighborhoods and that might not be on, on um, uh, you know, might not be a hundred years old and on the national register, but they're important for the neighborhood and the community. Do you have any examples of that? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we've actually worked to get places like Casa Amadeo, which is the oldest Latin record store in New York on the national register because of its importance. Uh, we've worked to get Kyler Church, which was where the high steel workers, Com community of, of high steel workers from the Akwesasne Reservation came to New York to build the World Trade Tower to many of the skyscrapers, Empire State Building and many of the skyscrapers were built by Native Americans from, from, from the reservation. And the church where they all worshiped was called the Mohawk Church. And we've tried to get that on the national registers. Not only we, we did interviews with them as well, but we tried to get the place, a place uh, landmarked in New York that represented that community. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience, and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website, www.tbcy.in, to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.